0: Uh, We remind ourselves of why we gather here. Uh, We we don't gather just to build bigger buildings or to pat ourselves on the back. We've gathered because of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and to give that away. And so uh, on behalf of a number of missionaries who are scattered across this world and churches that are being built right now, I want to thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for what you do, not just in your giving, but in your going as well, Uh, people putting their feet to the trail and running to get some clean water, and not just clean water, but so the gospel can be shared, so that salvation can happen. Um, We've prayed here recently for a new friend of mine, I'm calling him Abed, that's not his full name, Uh, but Abed is from Algeria, and Algeria's experienced a lot of persecution right now, and uh, we prayed in here for him as he went to Washington, D.C., to talk to politicians, and and that went really well, so thank you for praying for him. Uh, The the, the realization of what's happening there in Algeria with the persecution of Christians is growing, and so thank you very much for praying for him. Uh, We've been doing some great things here recently for our new church plant in Brazil. Uh, Pastor Ricardo, Pastor Ricardo is doing a great job of of putting up a new building, but more than that, building up lives in Fiera Nova, Brazil. Uh, We had a fundraiser for for that church, and uh, we, we as a church, you, as a church donated $10,000 toward that building and through the other work of other community churches, our daughter churches and sister churches, uh, we raised over $22,000 for that building so we praise God for that. Thank you so much for your generosity. And that's that's not something where we like had a separate fund to do that. that it's all part of, of one fund. Uh, all that we do together is boundless. It's a two-year initiative, and we're saying, you know, keeping the lights on and keeping programs and ministries happening here, and remodeling and putting up a sanctuary, and and you know, a half million dollars over the next two years going out and ministering and blessing other people. It's all part of boundless. It's all part of that one fund. So if you've ever put anything in that offering box, uh, thank you. You have been a part of moving the needle when it comes to mission and the kingdom of God expanding so thank you. I, I know we don't always see those results because we're not on those fields but I believe one day when we get to heaven we will realize what every bit of our effort, our energy, our time, our skills, the gifts that God has given to us and the financial blessings that we've moved forward into his kingdom, we will realize one day what it all amounted to and so just for now know that I thank you and your pastor is blessed by such a generous congregation. I pray for you often uh, in, in your generosity thanking God. So w- with this this idea of mission in mind, Uh, we've been going through this book that I've written called Uncertain. I'm gonna kind of shift the gears a little bit. Uh, If you read chapter six, you read about risk, uh, but today I want to talk about risk in relation to expanding the kingdom of God, Uh, the realization that each and every one of us have been called to make a difference for Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So in order to do that, uh, in the book you read about Abraham, but today we're going to go to the book of Esther. So we're going to turn to the book of Esther, it's in the Old Testament, and let me just kind of fill you in on on Esther. I'm going to just kind of quickly recap the first three chapters, and then we'll start reading in chapter four here in a moment. But you need to kind of understand where all of this is going down and where it's happening. This is happening happening in a city called Susa. And Susa, you have to imagine, is in modern day Iran. So everything that we're going to read about, everything we're going to talk about is happening in Iran, in that section right there. Uh, And this is about 100 years after the Babylonian exile. So about 597 or so, King Nebuchadnezzar came in and, and captured the Jewish people. This is about 483 BC when we read about Esther and what is happening here. Uh, king Nebuchadnezzar came in, and after King Nebuchadnezzar uh, and the Babylonian Empire, the Persian Empire took over, and a king named Darius sat on the throne, and after Darius, there was a guy by the name of Xerxes. Perhaps you've heard of Xerxes before. If you've watched the movie 300, you may have a picture of him in your mind's eye. It probably didn't look like that, but that's Xerxes, that's the same dude all right so in in Esther as you're reading you'll see his name as Ahasuerus but this is Xerxes it's the same person and that's that's where all of this is taking place and in Esther chapter 1 Kind of opens up, and, and we find King Xerxes, and he's having a, a big old party, and uh, he gets plastered at the party, and he invites his queen, Queen Vashti, to come in. He wants her to come in, uh, wearing her royal crown before all the other princes, and this is what it says in verse 11, to come in before the king with her royal crown in order to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. Now, uh, scholars try to figure out what this actually means and and what it's trying to get across here. Some scholars believe that he was asking her to come in in only her crown, uh, to which Vashti very wisely said, no, no. No, you can forget it. I'm not not doing that. Well, King Xerxes is embarrassed uh, in front of all of his buddies, and he starts to pout and stuff, and so one of the wise men come up, and they said, King, you're going to have to do something drastic, because if our wives learn that your wife didn't do what you said, well, Vashti didn't come in. If they learn of that, they won't obey us. So, King, bruh, you got to take one for the team, right? you got to get rid of Vashti. So he gets rid of Vashti. So now he comes up with this idea. They have this idea for a contest. And so they launch this contest that looks eerily similar to The Bachelor, which is crazy. And this Jewish girl by the name of Hadassah enters the contest. And this is what it says in chapter two, verse seven about Esther. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at, which is the Hebrew way of saying in our vernacular, she was hot. All right, she's she's hot. This this orphan girl from uh, the Jewish line, she has come and she has entered this contest. And here's how the contest worked: uh, all of the young ladies would would go into the harem, and then the king would sleep with each contestant. Told you it was like the bachelor. So he he then decides who gets a rose, who doesn't get a rose. You get a rose, you get a rose. You got to go, bye. So anyway, at the end of all of this, <laughs> Esther, she's holding the final rose. It's Strange, this little orphan girl Jewish person is now the queen of Persia. And I want you to understand what's happening here. Because if you grew up in church world and you heard about Esther, oftentimes we talked about Esther and a woman of virtue. And in time, she'll, she'll become that in a sense. But she didn't start out all that hot. She didn't start out all that well. Here, here she is, and she's sleeping with the bachelor. She's entered a contest to marry a pagan king. And in order to do that, she had to hide the fact that she was Jewish, which means that she was silent about her faith in the one true God, the God of Israel. And this actually follows on the heels not that long after some guys that we read about in exile people by the name of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how they stood up for their faith, how they weren't ashamed of who they were and doing the right thing. Daniel stood up to Darius. He was told during that time, stop praying, don't pray to your God. He's like, no, I'm going to keep praying to my God. In fact, I'm going to go up to my room. I'm going to open up the window so everybody can see me praying to my God three times a day. Hey, everybody, I'm praying to my God. You got a problem with that? Because I'm just going to keep on praying to my God. Then these other guys, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, in the face of King Nebuchadnezzar and everybody there saying, you're going to need to bow down to the golden image. And they're like, no, we're not bowing down to a golden image. We worship the one true God of heaven and earth, and it tells us that we have been made in his image, and he's not, we're not stone. We're not gold. He is a living God so we're going to keep on worshiping and bowing down only to that God and they said well you're going to have to do it or you're going to get thrown in the barbecue pit they're like fine throw us in they get thrown into the fiery furnace guess what they live not Esther she's caving to a very corrupt kind of culture she's going along with a very immoral system I'm sorry if I've busted your your Esther bubble for this moment. Now, things are going to turn around in a moment, but she didn't start all all that well, ignoring God and doing the wrong thing. Now, some debate whether or not she had an option in some of these things, but she went along with it. Now, during this time, another individual enters the scene by the name of Haman. Now, you got to cue the bad guy music with Haman. Haman hates the Jews. And the reason that Haman, who is number two in all this land, the reason that Haman doesn't like the Jews is because of a guy named Mordecai. Cue the good guy music. Mordecai is Esther's uncle. He's her guardian. Now, Mordecai refuses to bow down to Haman. Everybody else is bowing down to Haman. Oh, you're, you're, you're great stuff, Haman, but not Mordecai, it tells us in the Bible that Haman is an Agagite, which means he is actually a Canaanite, and there's no way that Mordecai is gonna be bowing down to a Canaanite, and so this makes Mordecai, or Haman really mad that Mordecai is not bowing down, so he's like, you know what, here's what we're gonna have to do. I have a final solution, and we're gonna exterminate all the Jews. Again, the Bible is very contemporary, right? Because like in the 1940s, there was another doofus who thought he would have a final solution and exterminate the Jews. And let's just kind of understand how relevant the Bible is, because where is Haman? He is in Susa, which is modern-day Iran. So there's an official in Iran who wants to wipe the Jews off the face of the planet. Oh, it's really good. We've come so far, right? Very contemporary. So Haman goes, and he presents this final solution to Xerxes. Let's get rid of the Jews. And Xerxes kind of has a hands-off approach at being an official, not really paying a whole lot of attention to what's going on. He's like, yeah, yeah, do do whatever. I imagine he's just more concerned about the next beauty contest. He's like, let's just go get plastered. But he gives his signet ring, and let's go ahead, we'll exterminate the Jews. Well, all of Susa is in chaos at this point because there's gonna be a whole lot of people murdered. And this is the point at which Uncle Mordecai comes and has a message sent to Esther saying, you've got to do something or we're all gonna die. You must do something. So Esther sends back this message, it's where we pick up in Esther 4, verse 11. She says, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there's one law to be put to death, except to the one whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I've not been called to come in to the king these 30 days. So she says, hey, uncle, uh, I don't know if you recall, but remember how Xerxes treat women who disagree with him in public? I'm not interested in doing that. I'm gonna die. I'm not going to do it. So then Mordecai sends back word to her. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, don't think to yourself that in the king's palace you'll escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. So here Mordecai is just talking about the fact that God has a promise that he has given to Abraham, their father, through you, Abraham, I'm gonna make a great nation, and through you, Abraham, I've got a plan to redeem and to make a kingdom unto myself, and so Mordecai is like, God in heaven is faithful to his word, and some way, somehow, we're gonna live through this, but don't you think, Esther, that if you kind of give in at this moment that you're gonna be spared from this. He says, but you and your father's house will perish, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So he's suggesting that she go to the king and she confront the king in order for people to be saved. This is a risk. Faith at times is a risk for us. There is a moment when you may risk in the face of uncertainty. Faith and risk run on a parallel track with one another, and every now and then they very clearly intersect. And this is an intersection moment in the life of Esther. It's the same thing for you and I. There will be a point of intersection where you must risk and you must stand up for your faith. And that's where she is. And she is being confronted with this moment to trust in the promises of God and to get on the same page as him. She thinks about it and she says this in verse 16. Verse 16. I will go to the king, though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Now, let me wrap all this up just really quickly by telling you, as a result of Esther's bravery, the Jews are saved. And, and and Mordecai is not killed. Haman is. Haman wanted Mordecai dead. He ends up dead. You got to read this sometime. It was just a terrible Monday for Haman. You got to read this at, at some point. And not only were all the Jews spared, but they actually ended up defeating all of their enemies. Mordecai recognized that Esther had been placed sovereignly by God at this place. At this time, and when I talk about God's sovereignty, we're talking about the fact that God is is large and in charge, that God is in control, that God has his hands on everything, his thumbprint on everything, that there is nothing in this world to which God goes, oh, I didn't see that coming. I wasn't quite aware of that. There's no moment at which God says, I didn't know that Esther was going to win some kind of contest. Well, that was really lucky for me. God is not lucky. God is in control. God is in charge. God knows all things. God is all powerful. So none of this comes as a surprise. What Mordecai is inviting Esther to do is to realize that at such a time as this, she had been invited into the kingdom for this moment for the salvation of others divinely placed by God, predestined by him for this moment. And let me just say to all all my Reformed Calvinist uh, friends, when it comes to God's sovereignty, it's not an excuse for us to have inactivity, God's sovereignty is what empowers us to be bold for God. The understanding that God is in control and in charge of all things emboldens us to go ahead and move forward in faith, taking risks, understanding that there is a kingdom to be advanced and there are people to be saved. And that's right where Esther is and that's right where you are. Right where you are. You are in the place that God has divinely positioned you to be in so that you would get on the same page with him, so that his purposes might advance. Maybe in your life you're a little bit like Esther and you look over your past and there are some things in your life, you you call them mistakes, but really they're sins, mistakes, what you have a pencil and eraser for. Sin is where we willfully disobey God. And so you kind of look in your past, in your past you'd say, well, I've not really been where I need to be. Now the great thing about God in his grace, he offers us salvation so that our past isn't where we need to remain. I mean, yes, God is the God of the cross where we remember what he did for us, but he is also the God of the resurrection who remakes our future. That our God is one that we can keep coming to no matter where we're at in his graciousness taking you from this point and keep moving you in the direction where he leverages your life for his glory and his honor. So at any moment in your life, when you sin, not if you sin, because when you come to Jesus, it's not sinless perfection for you or for me, but when you sin, it's very important for you to repent and keep walking forward with Christ, to repent of your sin and walk with him, not to just simply stay back where you were saying, man, I'm just, a, a terrible person, I'm no good, God can never use me. That is not true. You have been divinely appointed and placed by God where you are to give him glory, to expand his kingdom and really to see the salvation of others like Esther. The mystery of God's grace is that he can do that with each and every one of us. And some of you, you, you can minister to others as a result of where you've been and what's happened in your life. You're you're better off to to be able to speak into those lives than somebody else who has never been there before and to speak of God's goodness and his grace and the repentance that you've received and the forgiveness and the holiness that he provides to you. And you can do that right where you're at, at at, at your school, at your job, with your skills. You, You don't have to change to do that. You can do that now, realizing that you're on the same page with God to expand his kingdom. When we look at the exiles, When I I look at what God did to take the, the Jewish people who were in exile and how he brought them out, he used three different people in a pretty profound way. He used Ezra. Ezra was a teacher of God's law, then, then you've got uh, uh, Nehemiah. Nehemiah was an urban developer building the walls of Jerusalem. And then you've got Esther. And Esther's working in the court systems for justice on behalf of God. And God used all three different kinds of people in order to get his will accomplished. And that's what God wants to do to bring about restoration in the lives of people that you're around, right where you are. The, the heart of this church isn't that, that you would leave your job and enter into full-time ministry or to be a, a full-time pastor or to be a full-time missionary? It is to get you to understand that right where you are, you are a missionary of God. Right where you are, God has placed you, divinely ordained that moment, that place, so that you would speak on his behalf so that people would be saved, so that lives could be changed. That's our desire as a church, that God would change you. And he would change your life. And as a result of your life being filled by the life of Jesus Christ in you, that you then would go out and you would change the world. That's our desire, that you would be a changed life that changes the world, that all of us would realize that we have been called by God, not by accident. God made you on purpose for his purpose, that you would be his witness, that you would engage in the salvation of others. So Esther leveraged her position there in the palace. She had an option. She could use her position for self promotion, for selfish reasons, or she could leverage her position in the palace in a selfless way and risk her life so that others might be saved. And so here's my question for us today How do you, how do you leverage where God has placed you for the glory of his kingdom? See, each of us have a palace, if you will, that we live in, and your palace is the place where God has placed you. it's, It's where you live and work and play, and it's in that place where you have the opportunity to expand the kingdom of God, to ultimately see lives saved, and when we talk about saved, I'm talking about saved eternally from hell for heaven, and how do we do this? How, how would you be able to use your palace? Well, let me just give you a few things to think about. The first one would be this. Witness to others. Witness to others. You are in a perfect position in your palace, right, where you live and work and play, to be able to speak into the lives of people who are near you, because it is those who are closest and most like one another that they listen to. Because, look, I can come to your job. I can come to your workplace, and I can walk in there and be like, y'all need Jesus up in here. Some of you are like, amen, come to my workplace. They're gonna look at me and they're gonna be like, you're a pastor. (laughs) But if they look at you and your life, that's gonna speak a whole lot louder than somebody who's like the professional Christian. And so I would encourage you right where you are to witness to others. Now, what does that look like? Well, we're going to dig into this more as we get into 2020, but let me just kind of give you a quick synopsis here of how you might be able to accomplish something like this to see the salvation of others and the kingdom of God expand. I would encourage you right where you work and live and play to shine (laughs) and to shine bright for Jesus Christ that you would be so transformed by the person of Jesus Christ in you that Christianity isn't just like a label you slap on, but it is who you are. Christ in you the hope of glory, the light of the world, causing you to shine in front of other people and everybody else looking at you and going like, what is going on with you? Because you are different than everybody else here. And at that moment, you'll be able to say, well, I'm shining bright because of Christ who is bright. I'm not all that great, but he is awesome and he's doing some things in my life. So as you're shining bright at your school, at your workplace, and heads are turning like, what is going on with him or her? I would encourage you, not not just to shine, but pray. I would encourage you to pray for the people that you are around. The Bible tells us that we should pray for all people at all times, That you would begin to pray for your coworkers, for your family, for your friends at school, and you would say, God, I want to be a bright, shining light for your name, for my friends who are dying and separated from you so that they can come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God, would you do that? Would you give me an opportunity to shine bright and to talk to my friends? And you know what God's going to do? He's going to be like, yes, yes. Yes, I have been waiting for you to pray that prayer. Watch how I orchestrate an opportunity for you to share my son Jesus Christ, to shine the light bright. So I would encourage you, you just keep on shining right where God has placed you, divinely placed you, and you pray for the people around you, and then I would encourage you to share. So you're gonna shine, you're gonna pray, and then you're gonna share. And when we talk about sharing, we're talking about being a witness of Jesus Christ, that you and I would be a witness of Jesus Now what does that what does it mean to be a witness of Jesus? Well, think about a courtroom. Think about what a witness is in a courtroom. The witness isn't the judge. You don't need to be the judge. You don't walk into school, you don't walk into your job like, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're no good, you're not doing it right. You're not the judge. You're the witness. And you're not the lawyer. You're not the one who has to argue everybody into the kingdom. You're not the one who has to have all of the answers to all of the questions and and all of the arguments for every religion, every question about the mysteries of the universe and every answer to everything in the Bible. You are a witness. You are an expert witness of what God is doing in your heart and your life. You have the ability to say, I have been changed and transformed by the living God. And you know that better than anybody. They can't look at you and say, look, you, you, you haven't been changed. No, I have been changed. I have hope in my life. No, you don't have hope. Of course I have hope in my life. You don't have joy. Yes, I do have joy. It's been given to me, placed on the inside of me by Jesus Christ. You are an expert witness of what Christ is doing in your life. You don't need all the answers. You need to shine bright, letting Christ live his life through you, praying for those that are around you, God, just give me a heart for people that are dying and separated from you, and then Lord, let me be a great witness of what you're doing in my life. Can I just tell you what God has done with me? I used to be a jack wagon, messed up, in the dark, selfish person, and then Christ came in, I'm a new man, I'm a new Chris, I want you to know what he has done for me, and from that moment on, the Holy Spirit does his work, thank God, because we can't save anybody but Jesus can, Amen. right? I mean, you're gonna be, they'll throw out questions, what about, what about, and just like, Jesus. Jesus has transformed me. Y'all, can you just describe everything about evolution to me before I like make this decision? Jesus. I have lots of questions myself, but Jesus Christ transformed me, and he can do the same for you. So I'd encourage you to get involved in the kingdom work of God by witnessing to others, and then I would encourage you to leverage your skills. Leverage your skills. God has uniquely equipped you with certain things, certain abilities, um, and I would encourage you to use those in places where, where people don't know him. We, we have folks in this room who are, are medical professionals, nurses and doctors, and they take those skills and they go over to third world countries and they're blessing people, not just physically, but they're blessing them spiritually. They use that as a stepping stone, an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus and what Jesus is doing in their lives and people have come to Christ as a result. God has given many of you in this room specific skills and he has placed you in a a particular field and you get to look for ways. God, how can you help me show you to every person that I come into contact with through this job in my school? There are some brilliant young people in this room and in this church. I would encourage you young people to use your mind in such a way that you can expand the kingdom of God. Some of the kids in this room, you you may come up with an invention, an invention that, that can help other people, and you might have the opportunity to sell it and make a whole bunch of money, but what would happen if you would take your brilliant mind, engineering mind, whatever God has given to you, and then give it away to help others in third world countries, and others would look at you and be like, you gave up a whole lot of money, why would you do that? Well, I know Jesus, and he gave up a whole lot for me, and now I want to be able to sacrifice for others. It's not about me, it's about him. I would just encourage you to leverage every skill, talent ability that God has given to you for his glory. The next thing that I would encourage you to do is to give financially. All of us can do this. And maybe you're saying, well, yeah, that would be nice, <laughs> but I don't have anything to give. And I would just lovingly say, and I say this to myself, some of us can live on much, much less. I mean, every time we kind of like get a raise or a bump, we keep bumping up against that 100% mark, and we say, well, there's nothing left to give. Well, maybe we're overextending ourselves for our own lifestyle. Maybe we could look at our lifestyle, and if you look at your lifestyle, you'll determine whether or not you're living for you or you're living for others. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that God increases our seed for sowing, not for our standard of living, but for our standard of giving, so that it might go up. I I know great entrepreneurs in this church They have the ability to make money, and they are moving that money in profound, powerful ways into God's kingdom to allow it to expand. You and I can find ways to get some margin in our lives so that we might invest in his kingdom for such a time as this. Then, finally, I would say this. You can volunteer in our community. You can volunteer to serve, to take part, to be a part of what God is doing. You can do that right here in our church because our church, what, Lord willing, we're all about, is Jesus Christ and his kingdom expanding. And so everything that we do moves us in that direction. And so you can find a way to serve. Uh, you, you can go online, you can click on serve, you can come to me and ask me. There's lots of different places. In fact, there are, the seats that you are si- sitting in, they were put here by a team of people week after week after week after week after week after week for years, for years. Those people are so important. You walk in here and sit down, you don't even think anything about it, but you come in, you don't have to worry about a chair, you worry about what's God gonna do in this place Today, how is it going to wreck my heart? What's it he going to do with me? Thank you, people who sat down the chairs. There's people back there right now pushing buttons, moving levers, and doing different things so that we're not distracted. Thank you for doing what you're doing. It all matters. People welcomed you. People got here early, made some coffee. Right now, there are people who are loving on our kids, and they are expanding the kingdom of God. Not just at this moment, but for generations. Thank you. They can't hear me. You can tell them. Thank you for what you are doing, investing in our young people. Every single thing matters. You can get involved with some of our strategic partners. Greenfield has a number of them. You can go get involved with the landing place, minister to kids who are caught up in addiction and just wrestling with life. You can go to Life Choices and minister to women who are pregnant or think they may be pregnant. You can get involved in the Hancock County Food Pantry. You can go right down the road here to Hope Center Indy. And there are a lot of opportunities to move the ball forward for the kingdom of God. And as you are doing so, you have the opportunity of pointing people to Jesus Christ, right? That's what we can do. Esther became great, great, as a result of risking. In fact, 13 of the 14 times that she is called queen actually happens after chapter four that we just read. Right? She became great not by, by leveraging her position in the palace for herself and hey, look at me, I am the queen of Persia, but by risking her life and taking her position and leveraging it so that other people could live. And that's what God has called you to do, to get on the same page with him To understand that God in heaven created you, made in the image of God, not stone or wood or gold, but a living God, so that you would know him through his son, Jesus Christ. That you would get on the same page and see other people saved from their sins and entering into the kingdom work of God that he has been busy about ever since the garden. And that's gonna be your move. And some of you in this room have not yet made that move and gotten on the same page with God and said, I want to repent of my sin. I've needed you my whole life. Wash me, cleanse me, forgive me. Be my Lord, be my Savior. I believe you rose from the grave. Some of you, you've not done that. Some of you are going to decide never to do that. And that breaks my heart. But let me just tell you, God will use you anyway whether you ever receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior or not, God will use you because God uses everyone and everything. Whether you make Jesus Christ your Lord doesn't change the fact that he's Lord. And so I would just encourage you while you're on this side of the dirt to go ahead and start moving in his direction because he has moved in your direction. You would say, I'm with you. Jesus, I I need you. Forgive me, wash me, cleanse me. I want to walk with you. I don't want this life to be about me. It's all about you now, for your glory. Others of you, you, you are on that page. And greatness in the kingdom of God is not found in, in us promoting ourselves and making ourselves look good. It is found in sacrificial love. Who knows? But that God has not called you into the kingdom for such a time as this, Mordecai said. Nothing against Mordecai, but let me just emphatically say, you have been called into the kingdom for such a time as this. Now, who knows? I know. You have been called, purposed by God for his glory. And so we look at Esther and we, we look at her and we say, well, that, she's a great example, but I want to tell you, she's not the example. <laughs> Esther's the signpost. You can look at Esther and you can be inspired by what she did, but you can never be empowered to give up your life. Only Jesus Christ can do that in you. She is a signpost that points to Jesus. Jesus lived in the ultimate palace and had all authority and all glory, and he left that palace to save you from your sins, not at the risk of his life, but at the cost of his life. And he stands now, not before King Xerxes, but he stands before the king of the universe, having leveraged what he did on our behalf, obtained for us, and now he stands as our intermediator, our our one who stands as intercessor between us and God, praying for us, praying for you. And because of what he did on the cross, when he went there and he he died on that cross for people just like you and me who never measured up, never could measure up, and yet he willingly went and sacrificed himself. When we start looking through that lens that our Savior did that for us, now we can willingly willingly start laying down our life for people that don't measure up, that don't deserve it. And yet we have been called into this kingdom that has a great reversal and we will serve others before we serve ourselves. God has sovereignly put you where he wants you to serve his kingdom. Your life has a purpose. And just like Esther, he has a plan for salvation to come to others. He has you right where he wants you. I know we're all at different stages. We've got high school students and college students who are trying to figure out what to do with your life. We've got middle-aged folks and we're trying to, how do I live a life of significance right now? We've got retirees. How do I make this moment in our life count? But just know this. God has placed you on this piece of the planet at this time for his purpose, for his glory. And he will use you. Get on the same page and move in the direction of selfless love. Let's pray. Father, as we think about all that you have done for us, I wanna give you glory for moving in our direction, for having a heart of love for your creation. You very easily could have just wiped us all out but you and your grace moved in our direction when we didn't deserve it. Thank you, Father, for saving us, saving us from our sins, not just so that we can go to heaven personally, but so we can get on the same page in what you're doing in this kingdom. God, you have invited us to be alive at this moment so that we might be engaged in what you are doing. I pray for all my friends in this room, every person in this room, wherever they're at in their walk with you, that you would continue to lead them and guide them towards your heart as you move in their direction and that they would use their lives to bring you honor and glory so that we might see your kingdom expand and people be saved through your son, Jesus Christ. Father, as a church, we commit and recommit ourselves to this purpose, not counting this life as our own, but moving forward in faith, carrying the banner of Jesus Christ and the gospel good news that you have given to us that we may be saved so that all generations, every nation, every tongue might know that you are Lord for your glory and your name. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening.